A very warm welcome to 2024 and another new episode of Momentum Meets. I'm Alistair Body, Business Development Director here at Momentum Solutions. In the first of the series, the tables are turned and I'd like to welcome your host for today, Nathan Riddle. Hello, Nathan. How are you today? Good afternoon. Very good. Excellent. Um, Matt Meader from Meader Risks. Hiya. And Matt Thomas from MTIB. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Good afternoon. So usually it's me asking the questions, but today I'm under the spotlight. So which one of you wants to go first and ask me the first question? Matt? Yeah, I'll go for it. Um, hi, Alistair. Um, just wanted to know what uh, what led you to work in insurance. Well, I think I was probably like everybody on this on this uh, podcast, probably struggled to know quite what I wanted to do when I left school. But um, left school, um, joined the workforce. That didn't really work for me. So I went to university and started a degree. That once again just just wasn't really for me and I lost a bit of interest in that and ended up as a result working in the forestry. So I was planting trees, pruning trees and actually cutting trees down. So a scary thought with me in a chainsaw. Eventually we ran out of work and, and I saw a vacancy for a customer services officer in a high street branch um, just north of Wellington in New Zealand it's working for an insurer. So I ended up working there for a couple of years. And I actually discovered I quite liked insurance. So that's pretty much the start of my career in the insurance industry. Right. So I'll jump in. Um, Alistair, you mentioned New Zealand in that answer. How have you, how have you found that the working practices differ from, from New Zealand and the UK? I suppose it depends on how I ask the question there, Matt. I mean, I, look, I have been here for nearly 20 years or just over 20 years. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure things have changed since I left. But um, one of the things which a lot of people probably don't fully appreciate is a lot of the New Zealand and Australian laws are effectively built on the UK legal system. So generally speaking, when you think about clauses and insurance and wordings, they're very, very similar. I suppose from a sorry, distribution point of view, things are probably a little bit more different than the UK. So... When I left New Zealand, I was doing a lot of work um, with banks. So banks did a lot of business insurance and, and, and they were a larger part of the distribution chain in, the, in, in, in NZ. Um, but the other part of the, I suppose, picture when you look at New Zealand in comparison to the UK is pretty much all the independent brokers in New Zealand are appointed reps or authorised representatives out there. So it's a bit of a reversal from what you see in the UK where everyone, well, a large chunk of the independent broking space is directly authorised. So not a lot different, but the distribution chain certainly is very, very different from the UK. Uh, so sticking with the, the New Zealand theme, what is it that made you come to the UK? Uh, so I suppose it's that every late teen, early 20-year-old's uh, dream to see a bit of the world. Um, so I think it was at the age of about 24, I left New Zealand and flew to Australia, lived in Melbourne for two years. First time I've been on an international flight and never left the country. And the, uh, the, the plan at the time was always to spend a couple of, a couple of years in Australia before heading over to the UK. And, um, you know, here, here we arrived in the UK in 2003 thinking um, – two or three years, see a bit of Europe and then head back to Melbourne to live. And unfortunately, a career got in the way. And here we are 20 years later um, with, a, with a career and three kids. I mean, you've helped us all out uh, starting our own businesses. Um, just wanted to, to ask what it's, it's like from your side being such an instrumental part of someone's career journey. I just probably should ask you all the questions about how instrumental I really am, to be fair, Matt. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be careful. <laughs> um, maybe we haven't got time to cover that off today, but we'll leave it alone. But, um, look, it's going to sound incredibly cheesy, I think, but I genuinely feel like I have got probably one of the most rewarding jobs. Um, 
on average, I speak to, I suppose, what, 20 people in a similar situation as yourselves every month who are looking at, you know, whether or not self-employment is right for them. Every one of them, as I suppose, is a different approach, um, different challenges which need to be overcome. And I think everybody, you just need to treat them as individuals and ultimately try and help them as best as you possibly can. I mean, what's to do find it obviously incredibly rewarding? I, how do I put it? You have to take it incredibly seriously as, 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 you, as, you, as you're talking to people about their careers and giving them the, the best possible advice about how they take where they see themselves today to and give them financial security for the future. And I suppose the role I have is all about, I suppose, not selling them something, but ultimately giving them the advice that enables them to understand A, their potential and B, what options are available to them. So um, so what's it like? Yeah, it's a, I think it's a brilliant job. Absolutely love it. You um, you touched on challenges in that answer. So what, what do you think are the biggest obstacles in your current position? Um, as a business, I think, what is the biggest challenges for us as a business? I think it ultimately comes down to recruiting staff. I mean, if you think about what's going on in the industry at the moment, um, there's a there's a lot of vacancies out there, and I've never seen recruitment agents so uh, busy on LinkedIn at the moment with uh, wonderful stories about um, these the, the most amazing jobs available to them at the moment. So, I think it's it probably would continue along the theme of recruitment when it comes to momentum. So, um, we're pulling some information together for our next year's plans and. You know, we took on 25 staff in 2023, which is just a phenomenal number and not a number that we probably expected at the start of the year. But we've obviously got to maintain and continue to do so. So <sighs> recruitment is probably going to be the biggest challenge for 2024. Um, and, and when I say challenge, it's not about just simply putting a bum in a seat. It's about finding the right individual with the right expertise, whether that's an apprentice who wants to start their career in an insurance world or someone with a um, with a lot of experience who's just trying to find that home that you know and that culture of a business that ultimately is right for them and they can obviously continue to grow themselves as well as feel like the the input they put into their day job is is genuinely valued so yeah recruitment probably will be the number one Matt. Uh, regarding momentum independence how important how important is that to become in, to stay independent yes yeah I mean, I think I should ask you three that question, to be fair. Um, you know, if we were a consolidator and this was our model, I'm not sure how you'd feel about joining Momentum as such. But for us, I think it's it's fundamental to the and absolutely critical to our success. I mean, we, we are proud to be independent. We're proud to, um, to be focused 100% on appointed representatives. Unlike the majority of our competitors who either have a uh, – a VC or a, um, or, or a foreign owner of the business, we don't have any direct business. We don't deal with directly authorised brokers. We deal solely with appointed reps. And that enables us to focus all our energy and resource purely into providing the right solution for you guys. You mentioned uh, your major competitors there, um, Alistair. So in, in terms of the market overall, how do you see things developing, say, over the next few years, next five years, say? How do I see things changing the market? Well, look, service continues to be a challenge, um, but we are seeing some plenty of green shoots and are pretty optimistic things will continue to improve. What I think is critical right now is that brokers invest their time and effort into their insurer relationships. I mean, the support is critical on our ability to service our broker partners and ultimately your clients. I mean, insurers, I think, 
are always going to be a little lighter in resource, and they will invest this where they see best possible return. I mean, Matt Brunton and his team uh, have worked tirelessly at building those relationships with insurers, and we're starting to see the dividends. I mean, this has resulted in us having regular underwriting surgeries in our offices, offices commission rates, which are very competitive, um, bespoke and exclusive facilities for momentum, and this really reflects the value of momentum and its broker partners create for insurers, and, and long may that continue. I think if you look at the market from the point of view of the appointed representative space, you know, 2022 and, and early 2023, when the FCA announced their review and proposed changes, you know, we all thought that would be a big wake up for some, but we didn't see a lot of reaction at the time. So I'm, I suppose, roll on now to the back end of 2023 and moving into 24. How have things changed? Well, I think there's been a definite shift. Um, and I think the, the actions of the FCA are starting to become a bit more real for those who've got ARs. We've seen a competitor put under supervision by the FCA. We've seen two brokers with ARs effectively shut down by the regulator. And we've started to see principals with one or two ARs exit them with very little notice. I mean, the regime changes were very much welcomed by ourselves. And I expect to more brokers will think twice about their ongoing relationships with ARs and whether that's really financially viable for them and whether they can ultimately provide them with the supervision they require. Um, to, as required by the FCA, excuse me. I think over those over the last few questions that have been asked, you've sort of spoke a lot around. You do a lot of things. It sounds like you wear quite a few hats when you're talking to people. So, would you describe your job as easy? <laughs> In short, no. If a job is easy, you're clearly not being challenged and not reaching your full potential. Uh, while I do have some days which you might say will be a little bit easier than others, I do like to push myself and learn th new things and sort of step into the unknown where I can. Um, how different is Momentum to other companies that you've worked at in the past? Well, look, I've been with Momentum now seven, seven plus years and and. I think probably the, the, the word I'd probably sum up, which probably sets momentum aside from others, is culture. I mean, it's becoming a bit overused these days. A lot of people are, are using that term to talk about how much of a great place it is to work. But, you know, if you look at momentum, and, and I'm sure some of the staff will test, testify to this, but, you know, if you want to push yourself, then the business is there to support whether it's doing qualifications, whether it's learning new things, whether it's career um, progression. That has all been made available to the team. I mean, if you obviously have got some challenges and you need some help with those, whether they be personal, whether they be um, just doing the day-to-day -day job, then I think, once again, that's another place where momentum is there to support the staff. You know, fundamentally, you want your staff to be a happy staff. You want to challenge them. You want to push them to obviously continue to excel and grow. So I think, in summary, I think it's all about the culture. It's a very, very supportive place to work. And... Um, I genuinely think that's what sets us aside from most other insurer employers. Alistair, we know, we all know how much you love insurance. Um, but we did hear that you, you like rugby more. Um, <laughs> just wondering why you coach at your local community club. <laughs> what did I start coaching? Well, initially it was for selfish reasons. I started to sit on the sideline and watch my <laughs> elders play and not, and not being involved. And that sort of bothered me. I sort of wanted to get involved. So, but once I did get involved, it soon dawned on me that the kids actually, well, my kids in particular, don't particularly want to listen to me, and they'd rather listen to the other coaches. As time went on, I sort of realized that it was more to it. The impact we were having as coaches on the kids were huge. I mean, Stockwood Park is an area which has 
um, a substantial amount of child poverty. And this has its challenges with kids who have been excluded from school, coming to rugby without being fed and without the, the appropriate warm clothing. Well, give the kids the bare necessities one thing. It's the ability to teach them the principles of rugby. Um, for those who are familiar with the, the game in, the, in England, treads the core values, uh, not only of the RFU, but pretty much every single rugby club. Treads is basically short for teamwork, respect, enjoyment and discipline and sportsmanship. Teaching the kids these values, I think, provides them a brilliant value, a brilliant platform to grow and excel by. Earlier in 2023, Stockwood was very, very lucky to win £2,500 in the recent Aviva Community Awards, which basically has provided us with a platform to reach further into the community and help to introduce more kids to the sport without putting financial pressure on them and their families. There is a lot of work to be done here with local schools and charities, so watch this space. I look forward to sharing some more information soon. Uh, so, <clears throat> bringing it back to insurance, what, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing the UK broken sector for the next five years? I think we've got a lot of challenges in the in the UK broken world and, and insurer world in general. For me, I think it's really about maintaining the quality of support and service that we provide for clients. The industry has always had a bit of bad press and, and not the best of reputations. And I think we've got a duty collectively to do everything we can to improve the image of the industry. While consolidation will continue to run along, this in itself will continue to cause uncertainty for those involved. But I think it will, at the same time, create fantastic opportunities for local independent brokers to show the value they offer and, and in turn grow their businesses. So you mentioned uh, about customer services and you know brokers like us being there for you know the consumers and the customers. Um, and kind of offering that advice and support. Do you think that AI is going to be kind of uh, an issue or do you think it's going to be more of like a, a something that will benefit the insurance kind of sector in the next couple of years? After watching the Netflix movie Leave the World Behind the other night, I'm not sure, it's not so sure personally, but um, for those who haven't seen it, it's definitely worth a watch. I mean, AI has so many benefits and it's important that we keep a balanced view on what it can do to support the insurance industry and in particular the broken world. And there was a great example um, of how AI was used recently by an insurer in the States to survey hurricane damage, which in turn allowed them to basically turn claims around without delay and make interim payments. The one area which I do think as an industry we need to watch is how insurers utilize it for risk selection and how this can be used to support brokers and end clients with their insurances and ultimately ensure that people aren't uninsurable. Um, you talked before about um, the uh, the various job roles you had um, before settling on insurance. Um, what would you be doing now if you weren't working in insurance, do you think? That's a tough one. I mean, uh, my dream I've always said is to retire, buy a bit, of, a bit of land on the coast of New Zealand, build my own house and go fishing whilst I'm not building the house. But I might want to chat that one through with the family first as uh, they, they, they might not be too keen on that idea. I mean, one thing I do want to do now is spend more time working with local charities and in particular child poverty. I mean, the rugby club has really opened my eyes to the challenges here. And, and while I haven't got my head completely around what this will involve, I'm really looking forward to doing more on that in 2024. Now, towards the beginning of this, this podcast, you mentioned that you're speaking to quite a number of people looking to become ARs. And a lot of that will be to do with trying to improve work-life balance. Um, do you feel that you strike a good, good work-life balance at home? Once again, that might be a question for the family, not for me. Um, it, it, look, it, it definitely is a lot better than it was um, earlier in my career. I mean, certainly since the pandemic. I mean, prior, prior to the pandemic, I was travelling up to the office 
at least three days a week, um, 70 mile commute each way. As you can probably appreciate, that's a, that's a lot of time that you're not at home um, and or working. It's, it's a lot of that's downtime. But, you know, since the pandemic, I'm probably at home three days a week um, and out one or two. Don't get me wrong, there's some weeks when I'm out all week um, and traveling the country and all the rest of it. But it's definitely much, much better than it used to be. Um, I mean, one of the big things, I suppose, adding to that, which I have, I suppose, taken a big step on in 2024 is about is, is dedicating each each week some time to learning, reading, studying, watching, whatever it might be. Um, and as part of that, you know, continuing on the theme of what I touched on before around uh, obviously um, providing support, a support to charities as, as I've completed a mental awareness qualification. And I'm in the middle of doing a coaching and mentoring qualification, which is the next one I want to do, which is once again, just doing my bit to help um, and um, coach and support, whether it be the kids on the rugby field or, or those looking to start their own business or, or those who are maybe a little bit underprivileged and need some additional support in, in, in their personal lives. Uh, so the the three of us on the uh, the podcast now obviously understand the barriers um, and things that it takes to kind of take that that step into setting up on our own. Um, what do you see is the biggest barrier that you you know people face while setting up on their own? What is what's the most common question that when you're you know having a conversation with a, a potential new AR? I would do it, but what is what's kind of holding people back from from taking that leap of, you know, intersecting up on their own? I think I suppose two things come immediately to mind. I think the first is, and I'll look at the the nods, the faces as 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 I answer this. But I think the first one just comes down to an individual's self confidence, um, and dare I say it, just just simple fear of failure. I mean. You know, um, you know, I think just trying to get over that and understanding the, dare I say it, what what your capability is, what your strengths are, what your development areas are, what weaknesses, if any, there are, and helping them to just sort of, I suppose, map out exactly how it potentially could work for them. I think that's probably the first thing I'd say. I mean, I think the second thing is, is and once again, I, I look for I look for responses from either of you, but is is the the reluctance for a lot of people to open up. Dare I say, talk to people about this this dream that they have of being self-employed or running their own business without, dare I say, it, criticism, critique, or or, or people poo-pooing the idea because they don't think you can do it because we're all very very quick to criticise. Um, and so I think they're probably the two big things. Um, it's amazing how many inquiries we get where there is a genuine reluctance for people to actually just have a conversation. In terms of um, what you're looking for in an AR, um, I don't know if you'd say there's a perfect AR right there, but uh, what what would you be looking for in an AR? So what is the perfect AR? I don't think there is such a thing. Um, you know, here we are with three individuals who are, who are very different, who have come from very different backgrounds, do different business. I think fundamentally probably trade with their clients differently. But, you know, you probably have one thing which is in common, which is about giving good quality advice and support to your clients. So I don't think there really is an answer to that in regards to, you know, what's the perfect AR. I think I think there's probably some, what I'd say is absolute minimum requirements, is having a level of experience and knowledge um, in regards to how advise clients in the particular field or particular industry segments you want to go for. But outside of that, it could be anyone from a 20-year-old 
to a 65 year old the age doesn't make a difference sex doesn't make a difference where you are in the country doesn't make a difference fundamentally if you if you have an element of experience and know what you know how to look after a client then then do you know what it could be right for you and then i suppose the most obvious question have you ever thought of doing it yourself as is becoming a a, a starting my own brokerage or just starting my own business your own business i suppose have we thought about doing it myself? Well, I suppose absolutely. I mean, everyone's had that thought about how good it will be to work for yourself. But I think everyone who does start has something missing either in an existing role or they find themselves in a position where they're unhappy where their career is going. For me, I'm loving my job. I'm loving what I do. I love the company momentum and, and the support we give our broker partners. And, and long may that continue. Maybe something for the future, but certainly not for now. Well, that's all we've got time for today. My thanks to Matt, Nathan and Matt uh, for stepping into my shoes for this one episode. Um, I hope you guys found it very, very uh, <laughs> interesting, entertaining, and uh, you might have found out a few things you didn't know before. Our next episode will be in two weeks where hopefully I'll be back in the host chair quizzing someone else. Don't forget to subscribe to Momentum Meets wherever you download your podcast or listen on our website, momentumsolutions.co.uk slash podcast. See you next time.